Turn to Exodus 6. Turn to Exodus 6. If you're a visitor here, we're spending a year in Exodus. God has been so good to us, and we have full faith and expectancy that he will continue. So here's a question if you're a note taker. How has your family tree brought you here? And so you look at your father and you look at your mother and your grandparents and even your great-grandparents. You look at the influential uncle or the black sheep aunt. You look at your faithfulness and disobedience in different seasons in your life. And like, if you had to map out, if, if I sat down with my, my brother here, Philip, and I said, Philip, go to the whiteboard and just map out your genealogy, right? Map it out for me. Talk to me about what, what led you to this space. And you go, hey, Hunter, this space is not a great space that I'm in right now. Okay, but what led you to that? I'm not talking about just high moments and low moments. Whatever moment you're in, like, Like, what brought you here? How has your family tree led you to this space? Good and bad. We find ourselves, we're going to pray here in a second. We find ourselves in the last month or so where Moses comes to God and he says, God, why? I didn't want to go. You sent me. I'm being faithful. I failed. I have made things worse. And God says, now in your failure, you shall see what I will do. As you are small and weary, you're going to see how awesome I am, and then they shall know. God, why? Now you shall see, and when they do, they will know. And this is where we left off last week. Look at verses 7 through 13, and we're going to pray for God's ordination of his word this morning together. Look at verses seven. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will bring you into the land in which I swore to give to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and I will give it to you as a heritage I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, the children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? I am of of uncircumcised lips. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children once again out of the land of Egypt. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for today. Lord, we know that every word that you give in your holy word is breathed out and is profitable for us. Where is profit this morning? Lord, I pray that as we come into this church, as I said, our family trees, ups and downs, the reality is, is 
so many of us run the spectrum, the gamut of different seasons of our life. Some here drag themselves in in weariness. We are tired and we are poor and we are depressed and we are in conflict. Our minds can barely hang on to three songs. And Lord, some of us are in a healthy space. We see ourselves in a, in a place of where you have blessed us in ways. Our mind is clear. Our family is strong. We see nothing but glory. These are all seasonal. Lord, I pray that no matter if we are weary or we are strong, you remove all distractions and we grow in this no matter where we are in life. Remove distractions. Let us focus on your word. Grow us. I pray that we we leave here closer to you than when we came in. Show us the prophet in your word, in your precious name, the church says in harmony. Amen. How has your family tree led you to where you are today? Better yet, if I sat with my brother Philip here, where are you on that family tree? If I told you to map it out and I say, who are you? What character do you serve in as the list of names that you've listed out? As I told you in my, my prayer there, We're about to go into some waters that are going to be maybe even hard to to grab your attention as we go into a genealogy. No, as I said in my prayer, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3 that all of God's word, highlighting your mind, all of God's word is breathed by God and is profitable. That means nothing is a mistake We believe that every word, I believe that every word is literal. And I believe that as we read this, that nothing is misspoken or misplaced in anywhere in God's word. God put every comma because he thought those commas were for our good and his glory. Nothing is by mistake. Nothing is misplaced. So here's the question. And you might not have read ahead and go, what's he talking about genealogy? We're about to get into a lot of names. How is that profitable for us? The scripture in which you often skip, where is the profit in that? And honestly, before we get in there, know this, there's a ton of it. So look at God's word starting with 14. And let's cross our fingers together. These are the heads of their father's houses. Now, please have your Bibles open. I'm gonna say one or two names where I say underline or highlight. I want you to stay with me, okay? The sons of Reuben, highlight Reuben for me. The sons of Reuben, their firstborn of Israel, were Hanok, Palu, Hezeron, and Carmi. These were the families of Reuben. And these are the sons of Simeon. Will you highlight Simeon? These are the sons of Simeon, and they were Jamel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shal, and the sons of a Canaanite woman. These are the families of Simeon. This is going to be the last name I have you highlight. These are the names of the sons highlight Levi. According to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merai. And the years of the life of Levi were 137 years. 
The sons of Gershon were Libani and Shemai, according to their families. And the sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uzil. And the years of the life of Kohath were 133. And the sons of Merai were Malai and Mushai. And these are the families of Levi, according to their generations. Now Amram took for himself Jochebed, his father's sister, and his wife, as a wife. And she bore him Aaron and Moses, okay? So you see where Aaron and Moses is. Stay with me. We're talking about his father and his mother. And the years of the life of Amram were 137. And the sons of Izhar were Korah, Nepaheg, and Zichari. And the sons of Uzil were Mishael, Elizvan, and Zithari. Aaron took himself Elizabeth, daughter of Amandab, sister of Nashon, as wife. And she bore him Nabad, Abihu, Eleazar, and Itamar. And the sons of Korai were Asir, Elikan, and Abishah. And these are the families of the Korites. And Eleazar, Aaron's son, took for himself one of the daughters of Putel as wife, and she bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the father's houses and of the Levites according to the families of God. Where is the sermon in that text? Like, where am I going to go? What does God have? What is the purpose in all of these names that most of you will go to bed tonight not being able to remember too? What is the prophet in a genealogy? Now, for, for us at this church, and I believe what God is doing at this church, you are growing in knowledge and faith. I see so much of that in you. And as you study on your own way past Hunter preaching to you and you face a genealogy, what I'm about to give you is gold. And I want it to always be on your mind. Where is the prophet in this? How is this good? Why did God place it here? Well, first of all, know that the placement in Exodus of this genealogy is a sermon in itself. So what do I mean by that? All throughout scripture, when you have a genealogy like Matthew and other books of the Bible, it's usually in chapter what? Chapter one. Because before we get going, I kind of want you to understand who these characters are. So a lot of scholars, Bible teachers, pastors, biblical writers, onlookers and studiers like you and I, a lot of people speak as this was misplaced. Even people who love God, I read many people who go, we believe that this is a mistake. Because when you read this, it's kind of a head scratcher while we're six chapters in, and we're not just kind of in the middle of the story, we're in the middle of a chapter. Like we are in the heat of things going, like Moses and Aaron are staring at Pharaoh, and then it just kind of goes off course and gives this genealogy out of nowhere like it was a mistake. Well, remember, there is not a word or a comma that is misspoken or misplaced in God's word. So what is the message in it? Well, there's two things that I want you to understand my thought. Is one, Aaron, this genealogy is 99% connected to him, Moses' brother. 
And this is, in ways, his chapter one. We've heard the name Aaron. We understand who Aaron is, but we're about to see the character of Aaron really get fleshed out. So in a way, it is showing you who Aaron is. This is his chapter one. But not only that, this is the chapter one of the faith of these brothers. So far, Moses has not been the bad guy, but we've honestly seen him as more disobedient as faithful. Like Moses has argued and he's debated and he's dragged his feet. He's been disobedient. He's murdered. He's almost died. And we're like, man, you know, Aaron and Moses, like they're not the bad guy, but they're not the hero. We're about to see some remarkable faith in Moses and Aaron. And what God is giving us here is the longevity of his plan to get to that point. Where did Moses and Aaron, how did their family tree lead them to the place in which they are now? So understand, a name, a name is a lot. It explains a lot and it tells us something to who you are. A sermon in each one of these. I've had so many people, I was talking to, My brother Brent last night at the event, and he was talking about the genealogy. Understand, I've had people come to me and go, hey, Hunter, man, we think it's kind of amazing that you guys are gonna spend a whole year in Exodus. Listen, if I wanted and I was disciplined enough and I thought you guys would hang with me, I could spend a year just on this because every one of these names is a heavy story. I could spend a month, we could spend two years on this genealogy. Why? Because a name explains a lot. It tells us a lot. It introduces you. So when you come up to someone and you go, hey, I am, and they go, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're Jerry's boy, right? Or they say, yeah, you're Jerry's boy, right? (laughs) So it could be your last name, especially in a small town. That's why I always joke like, Man, I don't care I'm not from here. You don't got anything on me. You don't know who my folks are and my my skeletons and my bad choices in my life. For you guys that are from here, it's hard to live down a family name. Like your great-grandparents better keep it together if you have any shot here, right? And so what we see, a lot of us have lived under the blessings and burdens of a name. Maybe you had a really strong family name. Maybe your dad was really successful. He was a bank president. He was successful in business. He was a deacon. He was a Sunday school teacher. You had a sweet mama who loved kids and served in the nursery and was a third grade teacher. We love your family and you benefited from a name. Or maybe you came from a very poor family name. And maybe your dad, your old man made some really bad decisions or or maybe your mom left when you were little. And everybody knows the poor decisions that your last name comes with. And when you introduce yourself to somebody, you don't just say, hey, my name is Hunter. You go, hey, my dad was this. My mom was this. My brother is this. And it's hard to live down, isn't it? Or maybe, maybe you've lived in the opposite of that. And what I mean by that is maybe you have been blessed by the burdens or burdens by the blessings. That's probably my story. So maybe for some of you guys, you had phenomenal families and you could just never live up to it. So everything you did wasn't good enough. And every mistake you made was like, man, your brother wouldn't have done that. Your dad would be so disappointed. 
and you've actually grown up resentful to the blessings that you have in a good family. Or maybe my story, maybe you were blessed by the burdens. And so I didn't come from a strong family. My dad was not a believer. He died a non-believer. My grandfather took his own life in depression. My mother was in a lot of different directions in her life. My brother died early, not in a good space either. So anything Hunter did was a home run. If I was dating someone halfway decent and I got to work on time and I made nothing but C's, everyone came to me at family reunions and was like, you're doing something, young man, right? Because I come from nothing. So I was blessed by the burdens. Like, How did you get to this space today? What does your family tree say about you? Who are you on that family tree? Either way, if you like it or not, a family tree tells a story of who you are and how you got here, like it or not. But most importantly, please hang with me. How is this genealogy, how is any genealogy in the Bible profitable for you and I? For you and I, in a worldly, realistic way of just understanding that our background and the name says a lot, it explains a lot, it tells a story. When you study the Bible, all of that is true, but most importantly, a genealogy is God's stretched out hand and the length he goes in his plan of salvation for his glory and our good. Every genealogy. So you read this. You read this. This is a true story. Someone read, reached out to me this week. They said, Hunter, I cannot wait till Sunday. I said, man, praise God. That is such an encouragement to me. What are you reading? He goes, no, 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 no. Me and my wife just said, we cannot wait to see you pronounce all these names. <laughs> right? Right? Because you're going to drop it quick. Listen, you and I, we skip over. God gives this and says, hey, I want you to see the length of my goodness. I was working in your great, 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 great grandparents for your good and my glory. And it's all connected. Hey, hey, hey. No one's getting this on a T-shirt or coffee mug. Hey, this is amazing. I got chills just, say, chills just saying that to you. This is a year's worth of sermons. And it's scripture that you and I often pass through. What we have in chapter six and for your future studies, genealogy. Where's the prophet? God's word is breathed out. It is for our good. It is for our profit. What is the prophet? Is God showing us the length of his plan of salvation and how he uses the good, bad, and ugly in every piece of it. There's not a piece of meat left on the bone. God goes to full arm's length for our good and his glory. Now, Celia, put up that genealogy so everybody fully understands now, okay? Hey, I was at my desk and Wendy came in and this, because I'm not very technically sound, and so I don't think to go to Google, I got literally like a piece of paper and like markers and I'm trying to follow this. And she goes, are you teaching this? You know, and she's like, that's not gonna be good, right? But praise God for Google. So I want you to understand this for our minds, okay? Because like, Hunter, man, praise God, everything you said, I believe it, but it still was a lot of names. 
So let's tighten it up, okay? Out of all of these names that I just read off, the tree hangs the fruits from the branches of really three names. And that is Reuben, Levi, and Simeon. Those are the three names that really everything hangs down from. Really, when you look at it, like one or two verses are given to Reuben and Simeon, and then like 15 verses are given to Levi. Now, who are, it's a beautiful thing, who are these three men? These three men are three of the 12 children of Jacob. Now, who is Jacob? Jacob is the father of Joseph. Who is Joseph? He was the one that we started Exodus in about why are the people of God in Egypt in the first place? Go back just a few pages. Go to Exodus 1. Jacob had 12 sons. Reuben, Levi, and Simeon were three of them. Joseph was one of them. Joseph in Genesis gets sold into slavery. There's a famine comes. Those three men and their brothers have to come back to him. They come out of necessity. They stay because of family. Week one, two months ago, why are the people of God in Egypt in the first place? It goes back to Joseph. Exodus 1. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. So there are many sermons. There are many directions creatively that we could go in this text of genealogies for our good. But man, there is one that just stood out to me that I thought was so powerful and awesome and it magnified God and it was encouraging to us. Moses and Aaron, in every story of God's word, God is the star. God is the main character in every story, but he is raising up heroes of faith. God's instrument, he is building up Moses and Aaron as key figures in this book, right? Now, who is Moses and Aaron, they are the great-grandchildren of Levi. Follow me. Take a deep breath if you've got to get back. They are the great-grandchildren of Levi. Levi was one of the brothers who sold Joseph into slavery, which led to the people being enslaved in the first place. Where is the sermon? Where is that profitable? What is God telling us? It is not always the spotless family tree that God uses for awesome things. It is not just the families who have made every right decision, who have their shirts tucked in, that made sure they had did everything right that God uses for his glory. God uses every link of the chain for his plan of salvation. There is mess and baggage, and skeletons, and faith, and success, and there is good, and there is bad, and it all ends at the same space for God's glory and our good. And then you know what else we see? You know what is awesome for you and I? Depending on if you were raised in baggage or bur burdens or blessings, what we see is, is in this genealogy, <clears throat> God's goodness and grace that he gives Moses and Aaron 
the blessing, privilege, and opportunity to change their family legacy. So for so many of you, you go, hey, Hunter, my family name does not bring pride. I'm not proud of it. My family name is not good. My family was not successful. My family made a lot of bad decisions. My family split, mom and dad split. My brother is way out there. Like I have made bad decisions. Like my family tree is ugly to say the least. Listen, Moses and Aaron's family line is why the people are enslaved in the first place. Please don't leave me from this. You know, Moses is like, I don't want to go. The people are enslaved. They're like, hey, listen, we're here because of your people anyway. And God goes, hey, not only do I love you, not only am I with you, I'm giving you the blessing and opportunity to change the legacy which is behind your last name. God's forgiveness and grace. My mind went to just being curious about this concept. And I started thinking about what it would have been like to to be the cousin or great-grandchild or child of different figures in life. Like, what would it have been like to be the great-great-grandchild of Hitler? Wouldn't that be crazy? I looked all this stuff up, man. I was like, I'm already on Google. I got this figured out. Let's see what's going on with Hitler's family line. Like, how hard would it have been to get a date if you were the cousin of Charles Manson? Right? Like, who's your family? Don't worry about it. Just do not worry about it, right? (laughs) Or hey, on the flip side, the flip side of that, in my opinion, the greatest athlete to ever walk the earth, Michael Jordan, he had two sons. I think it would have been easier to be the son of Charles Manson, right? Can you imagine Like, can you imagine, like in your mind, imagine going out for tryouts and people watching you and your dad is the greatest thing to ever walk on a basketball court. Everything you do would not be good enough. It would all be failure. Oh, what a blessing. Would it be? Or the blessings. For some of you guys, you, you, you grew up in faithful families. Faithful families. Do you know why we see, please hang with me, parent. This is good news to you. Do you know why we see so many young people come to know the Lord and are baptized and are faithful? You know why? Because their mom and dad have been pouring into them at such an early age. That's not a bad or scary thing. That's a good thing. I didn't have anybody pouring into me until I was 20. I've been pouring scripture into my kid until they were like six months old. And so they've heard the gospel at a very early age. Do you know the blessings and benefits of all of these things? And we see all of it on family trees. All of it on family trees. And so when we look at Moses, when we look at Aaron, we see faith and we see sin and we see skeletons and we see baggage and we see failure and we see success and God's hand in all of it. And your family tree is no different. In Moses's and Aaron's line, in a bunch of these names here, They're stories of good and bad. We have the sons of Levi. He had three sons. I know you probably can't see it. If if you can see what I can see back there, you might not be able to take the names, but just believe me. Gershon, Kohath, and Merai. Levi had three sons. These men, all three of them, in 1 Chronicles, it talks about how they were faithful servants to the temple. 
It says that they were practical men. It says that they might not have been preaching sermons, but like on work days, they were the first one there and the last one to leave. Like they made sure the building was standing so people could come and worship. The church are built on such men and women. It says the sons of Levi, man, they were faithful. And then they poured into their families. But then we also have black sheeps of family. So if you looked at your brothers and sisters and Kids and uncles and aunts, you have some horror stories. We have Aaron's cousin, Korah. And Korah was a religious man. He was in the temple. He served in the church. In the book of Numbers 16, verse 3, exactly, there's a story that when Moses and Aaron entered the temple, Korah was so upset because God had placed Moses and Aaron in a place of authority. And the exact words verbatim in Scripture was, that is enough. That is what Korah said. That is enough. You are not an authority. You are not over us. Everyone here is equal. That's what Korah said. And the story ends. If you don't know much about numbers, God sends an earthquake, swallows up my man and his family. And it's all on this page. And we could go on and on and on and on about the burdens and blessings that led to Exodus. The chains, the links, that everything led to Moses being who he is and Aaron who he is and God, how God works in the past, present, and future all for his glory and his plan. It's still more mysteries. It's still more mysteries. Mysteries that are different than five, chapter five, but still mysterious, still cause us to faith. If you were here when we taught on chapter five, you remember me talking that some of the most wise words that you will ever say is, I don't know, and that is okay. And we see in chapter five when Moses almost lost his life, and you and I talked about the the balance of God hardening Pharaoh's heart, but then also man's faith and decision really spurring on his path and how that's hard to balance and juggle and we didn't understand Well, it's very different than chapter five, but it's still mysterious. Like I get this, but I can't solve it, right? Like I don't see, I don't understand how God is working 15 generations before me for me. Like I can't do that mathematical problem. Like in math, I don't know about you, but I'm a numbers guy. I like math. I like numbers. I'm good with numbers. But in school, I was awful in geometry, I was awful in algebra because I would get to this problem, kind of like a genealogy, where it'd be one of those long division problems where, you know, you'd start at the top of the page and you'd use a whole page for one problem. And the issue with me was that there was like 15 steps and I would miss like step four and then every step would be wrong after that, right? That's kind of like our genealogy. Like, I understand that God is doing great things and that God worked for my father, good and bad for me. And my, I understand the concept, but I can't solve that equation, which leads us back to faith, to have faith that God is doing something in our burdens and blessings in the weights of our names, that God is still doing things, if it's understandable or not, for his glory and our good. I just want you to see these, hear these words. In Romans 8, please. <clears throat> it says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait with it for it for perseverance. 
Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Hang on this. Now he searches the hearts, knows what the mind and the Spirit is because he makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. God uses everything for his plan of salvation, blessings and burdens. God uses the ordinary to do amazing things. He uses faith and he uses sin. He uses heaven and he uses hell all to point towards his goodness. God redeems broken families and punishes self-righteous ones. Nothing is wasted. I want you to think about your family tree. I asked the question, what led you here? The reality is there is probably examples of heaven and hell in that tree. You have probably lived in the space of heaven and hell in your life and God has used all of it. All of it, his far stretching hand to show how big he is. Nothing is wasted. Every chain, every link is needed. When I was in counseling, I did therapy, marriage and family and drug and alcohol and kid, youth, adolescent counseling for like 12, 13 years before ministry. And I was really discouraged in counseling because the rate of quote unquote like success is really, really low because people have issues and 45 minute therapy session is not going to solve it. Years and years and years of work. And so I was young and inexperienced and I had a desire to help people. And sometimes I would spend days, hours, months. I would spend a year with someone, meeting with them multiple times a week, just pouring into them. And then a year later, they flake off or they relapse or they leave a family or they go south, right? And as a therapist, I'd be so discouraged. I'd be like, man, like, why did I spend all of that time, all of that effort just to end in failure, Some of you guys have lived this out. You might not be a counselor, but you've done this with brothers and sisters and you thought, man, we're moving, we're moving, we're moving and then it fall apart. It's discouraging. I remember one time a woman came to me. I spent like a month with her and it just seemed like everything worked. I housed a genie in a bottle. I solved every problem, like everything worked out and she went on to be successful. She's still successful today. And I remember looking at her just a month in and going like, what worked? How was this successful? Why did it only take a month? And this is what she said to me. Hey, Hunter, I've had problems for a long time. You're like my 15th counselor. Like I relapsed here. I did well for a while here. I relapsed again here. I did well. I was faithful here. I left my family at this point. I was in the church very strong at this point. But then I, like she had this long list. And the month with Hunter Jones wasn't the answer. It was the the 15 people that poured into this woman, good and bad, that God used to get to the space of her success. God uses heaven and hell for his glory. God uses the strong family names and the poor family names for his glory. God uses faith and sin for his glory. Every link of the chain God uses. As we start to slowly close in, I want you to understand the big picture which amazes me about how huge God is. 
Exodus that we've been reading through is undoubtedly one of the biggest stories and adventures in all of human history. And God is the star, but the two main characters, you could say, are Moses and his older brother Aaron. And what God is doing in that genealogy, still you don't, you don't have to put it back up. We don't want to confuse anybody. <laughs> what God is doing in that genealogy is building up through all of those therapists for the readiness of the ones that he calls faithful. And here's what I want you to see. God didn't stop with these brothers. This scripture is not about Moses and Aaron. After Moses and Aaron, God gave Aaron a son, Phinehas. And if you know anything about scripture, it talks about Phinehas in the Old Testament, that Phinehas would go on, the son of Aaron, would go on to be a faithful, righteous leader of God that the world has very few seen before that time. And it was all connected to Aaron, all connected to Phinehas, all connected to his fathers and great-grandfathers. Who would be a great leader based off the links and chains in your life. What I think is amazing that right now in your life, God is planning, God is correcting, God is using, God is growing, God is ordaining all at the same time. He is using the past tense, the present moment, and the reality of the future simultaneously. And here's the thing that blows my mind. This is the the long division problem that Hunter Jones can't really hold because it's too heavy. You and I are all three of those things. This is right now, this is all about you. You are Moses and you and are Aaron. But here's the truth. God already has a plan where you are someone's past. God has a plan for your great-grandchildren when you don't walk this anymore and you're a link that's not even in the picture anymore. God has used you, and right now you are someone's past, you are the present, and God has a plan for the future simultaneously. That is a divisional problem you can't fathom. And we are called back to faith. We are called back to faith for the problems that we cannot answer. God gave us a truth that we can hold on to, and that is that God is huge, that God is awesome, that God is sovereign, that God is brilliant, that God is multi-purposeful. He is loving and he is graceful and he is also creator of new life and forgiver. This is how we're gonna close. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians. I want you to flip there, okay? Brent read us that at the beginning. I'm gonna end the same space. Go to 2 Corinthians 5. I want you to see it. Highlighters out for me. There is a lot in a name. It might introduce us, but it does not define us. And as Christians, as believers, when we are born again, your family tree does not look fully explainable because of what God has done in it. I want you to see this beautiful truth. We might not be able to work out and understand the past, present, and future to how it applies to us, but this is one thing that God gives us that we should understand. Look at verses 16. Chapter 5, verse 16. 
Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. I don't care what your last name is. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Will you highlight that for me? He is a new creation. I don't care what that last name is. I don't care what that family tree looks like, good or bad. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And he has committed to us the world of re- word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God himself. Where is their profit in that? Where is their profit in that? You have to dig and you have to search and you have to study and you have to be taught. Exodus 6 in the genealogy. But what we are given in that text is very obvious what is profitable for us. That God brings in all members of that family tree, no matter what your last name is, He brings us to a new family tree, a new last name, a new creation in Christ. That through his son, not the strong last name you have, not the poor last name you have, not the reputation of your family tree, but through Christ. Through Christ, we have reconciliation. Through Christ, you are brought into a new family tree. And here's the reality. I have buried fathers and brothers and cousins and family members that were lost. And I have more people in common in a new family with brothers and sisters that I will have in glory than I ever did with them. My brothers in Africa, my brothers in Haiti, my brothers in Huntington, this is a new family tree. In Christ, we are given new family. In Christ, we have a new heritage. In Christ, we have a new name. In Christ, we have a new invitation. So for some of us, here's the invitation for this morning. For some of us, we wish we had a strong family name. We wish we didn't live under the burdens of poor decisions. We wish that we were able to pour that into our kids. God invites us into something much better than a worldly last name. God invites us into something so much richer than a strong reputation in a small town. And that is salvation. And the only way we are saved is through the blood of Jesus Christ. As David said, nothing that we earn, nothing that we deserve, that is a father that adopts us into the family. Why? Not because we are worth it, but because he chose to do so. That is good news. That is the gospel. If this is not a Christ you know, when you look at this genealogy and you go, man, I don't know Jesus any more than I did before I came into this space. Exodus 6 shows the links of God's desire for salvation in all man's life. If that's not the Jesus you know, if you are not a part of that family, I pray, God, save me. Save me. 
I want to be a part of a new family line, a new family tree, a new legacy. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for today. Lord, I grew up in a middle-class southern home that at the age of 19, I thought that I was going to heaven because I had not done anything that deserved hell. I believed that we didn't come from monkeys. I believed in the concept of God, but I did not know Jesus. And the truth is, I, I was lost and I was going straight to hell in that moment. It was not until I understood and I saw and I was invited into a new family. And so I spent most of my young life resentful of my family name. Lord, I pray that in this prayer, people hear this. I was resentful. I was jealous of other people's family trees. I wanted a better last name. I wanted a better family. I wanted a better father. I wanted more worldly riches. I wanted better. I wanted greater. I wanted richer. And it wasn't until I was invited into the family tree of God that I ever experienced any of it. That there is not a last name that could have given me what I wanted. There was not a last name that could have given me what I sought. And now I sit here today with, with no worldly family, without just outside of the people who live under my roof today. And Lord, I am a part of a great family, invited by a creator, born again by Christ. Lord, I pray that we all leave here today as a family reunion of people that are on that same tree. Let us look at Exodus 6 of your arms stretched out and how you use every ounce, every aspect, every word, every name throughout history for your great plan of salvation. Praise God in your precious name. Amen.